What's going on, everyone? And welcome to Method in the Madness. This is a podcast that not only delves deep into design and creativity, but also leadership, productivity, and personal development. And this is episode 14 of the podcast. And in this one, I get to sit down with Duncan Wardle, who has a pretty fascinating story, actually. Um, after graduating from Edinburgh in 1986, Duncan joined the Walt Disney Company as a coffee boy, his words, not mine, um, and then worked his way up into the PR side of the business, eventually becoming vice president of global PR for the Disney Company. And that was before he moved into his last role there as head of innovation and creativity. Duncan now runs his own consultancy practice, helping companies embed a culture of creativity and innovation and very kindly took time out of his busy schedule while he was in London to come on the show. And Duncan tells us the story of his career from being that coffee boy to moving up throughout the Disney company to eventually becoming the head of innovation and creativity. He takes us through many of the tools and different practices that he uses in his creative masterclasses and also gives me hook, line and sinker on one of them at one point as well. Um, And Duncan also gives us an insight into some of his most notable Disney projects, such as their infamous Magic Band technology that uses RFID technology throughout their Disney parks. And this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Dinghy. And what is Dinghy? Dinghy is insurance for freelancers by freelancers, and they are on a mission to make insurance cheaper, faster, and most importantly, fairer. Their groundbreaking approach offers flexible, pay-as-you-go business insurance exclusively for freelancers, which is all done through their simple and slick app. And with that, you get insurance that can be turned up or down, on or off 24-7, meaning that you only pay for the coverage you need. You're charged by down to the second and billed in arrears. There's absolutely no fees or admin charges ever. And not only that, but you can get a quote within 40 seconds and a policy within two minutes with only eight questions to answer. And... If my simple brain can do it, then anyone can, to be fair. And their insurance is not only tailored specifically for freelancers, but Dinghy also support freelancer groups and charities with the aim of improving freelancing and the world in general. So visit the following link today and get your quote in seconds. So please head over to getdinghy.com forward slash M-I-T-M. That's G-E-T-D-I-N-G-H-Y dot com forward slash M-I-T-M. It's an absolute fantastic service, and it's not just for creatives either, so by all means, go check it out. And now, without much further ado, I'd like to welcome Duncan Wardle to Method in the Madness. Duncan, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I know you have a very busy schedule while you're very shortly in London, so thank you for joining me in your hotel of all places. <laughs> well, no, thank you for coming down from Edinburgh. It's a bloody long journey, so uh, no, thank you very no, much. it's an absolute pleasure. Um, you worked at Disney for thirty years, originally <laughs> in PR, and then you moved over to uh, head of innovation and the creativity role. In 2008, you were honoured at the White House with the Outstanding American Citizen Award. And in 2014, you were awarded an honorary doctorate, sorry, can't even talk, at Edinburgh University. And you also hold a Duke of Edinburgh Award, which was presented by none other, the Queen herself. That was a while back. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, fuck, I have a, a lot of questions. So I apologise in advance if I'm just throwing questions at you. Um, 
You graduated from Edinburgh Napier yeah. back in 1986. I was looking at the notice board. It was about three months before the end of the, the four years. And uh, there was a picture of Mickey Mouse on the notice board. And I thought, what the fuck's he doing there? So um, it was a chance to meet an American. You're like, ooh, what's an American? Um, or, or a two-hour accounting class. And I'm not in finance for a reason. So off I went. And it was a presentation. And I was uh, asked to go out as one of, uh, at the time, they took five kids out from the UK to represent the UK in Epcot at the, uh, the British Pavilion. Oh. And so, uh, yeah, day one, Rose and Crown Pub. Oh, I was a barman. <laughs> that was my very first job. And, uh, I mean, imagine, it was like the Olympic village on steroids right? yeah i mean you've got 100 kids from 10 different countries all living in the same village for a year <laughs> so um so that's where i, that's where I met my wife because i was the barman in the rose and crown oh, wow. pub she was an aztec, aztec goddess from mexico on the other side of the lake and an aztec um, goddess from mexico yeah my chat up line didn't go that well on day one because uh, she couldn't speak very much english i my spanish was horrible and she said i'm from monterey mexico and i said well i know a song about that and she looked at me like really and i said yeah it's by Frank Sinatra. It's in my room if you want to come hear it. She's like looking at me like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to fly. <laughs> well, you must have improved over the years if she's now your wife. So, Well, yeah, exactly. And then I got a transfer over to London and uh, I was the cappuccino boy. It was my first job. I used to get six cappuccinos a day for my boss and I collated and folded 50 press kits for, and that's what I did. Wow. Uh, three weeks into the job, I was asked to be the um, the character coordinator at the Royal Prefere of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So first we had to go meet with the Royal Protocol Officer who tells you how you can and cannot behave around the Princess of Wales, Diana. Um, now, contingency plan, if you had one, uh, I found out what one was that day because I didn't have one. Uh, my job... <laughs> my, I like Here's the, one, here's the one you can't screw up, right? You cannot screw up standing at the bottom of the stairs. Roger Rabbit's going to come down, bouncing down the stairs. Diana's going to come in along the receiving line. If she chooses to engage with Roger, great. If she moves straight into the auditorium, tough. How could you possibly screw that up? So, uh, well, a contingency plan would tell you the average stair on a step is about the same length as your foot. Unless you're a six-foot rabbit with feet that are three feet long. Uh, and with about six steps to go, Roger trips over Roger uh, and oh goes God. directly through the air towards the head of the Princess of Wales. Wow. Whereupon two royal protection officers didn't hesitate, took him out in midair uh, with guns drawn. And you can still Google this image uh, because there's two guys on top of Roger. Roger's on the floor with his hands up like this. And there's a 24-year-old Duncan in the background going, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and I thought, shit, I'm fired. First day in the office. <laughs> and uh, I didn't go into work the next day. And I got a call from my boss. He said, where are you? I said, I'm at home. He goes, why? I said, well, I assumed I was fired. And he goes, no, this is, uh, this is exactly the sort of publicity we need for Roger Rabbit. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. I said, I can make a career out of this. And so for 20 years, I did. I did the mad, audacious, outrageous. I sent my son's Buzz Lightyear to space on a space shuttle for the opening yeah, Toy Story. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Um, he's the longest serving astronaut in space, by the way. He's <laughs> 18 wow. months. And then um, 10 years ago, when I was still behaving like a kid in the candy store, I got a call from the chairman. He said, look, you're the guy with all the big ideas. You're going to be in charge of innovation and creativity. And I said, what the hell is that? He said, I don't know. We just need more of it. <laughs> that was the brief. Well, that's a pretty nice open plan brief, but sometimes the open plan briefs are the worst yeah, ones. Yes, indeed. So, so how, like, what were the kind of, I suppose, steps involved from going from Coffee Boy to working in PR to, like, you know, the actual, like, was it, there was a genuine interest there from you and you just kind of developed your skills over time? So, uh, or Yeah, I think on the PR side, it was the ability to come up with an idea that you had no idea if you could pull it off. Because if you did pull it off, everybody went, holy shit. Mm. Right? I mean, when I said, you know, you watch Toy Story, right? Yeah. Well, what, was Buzz, what was Buzz's dream? 
be an astronaut. Yeah, he wanted to fly, right? But he couldn't because he was a toy. And I said, what if I could make Buzz Lightyear's dream come true? And he was like, well, how the hell are you going to do that? I said, I'm going to send him into space. I hadn't had a conversation with NASA about it at the time. <laughs> so we went off. I went up to meet with NASA. There were 23 people in the room plus me. And you could tell that half the room just loved the idea of taking Buzz Lightyear into space, but nobody's going to stick their neck out and say, I love the idea. And half the room didn't want to even bother opening the window before they threw me <laughs> through. And so they agreed to take Buzz into space. And with about six months to go to launch, we got a call from Johnson Space Center, which is in Houston. Yeah. And they said, we need Buzz Lightyear here tomorrow. In fact, we need two identical Buzz Lightyears here tomorrow. And I was like, dude, the launch isn't for six months. Right. Why? He said, well, we're going to take one Buzz Lightyear apart molecule by molecule or atom by atom. I was like, why? He says, well, because if there's a, um, an air pocket the size of a molecule inside his plastic, that could explode in the vacuum of space and kill one of our astronauts. I was like, yeah, totally. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't just going to so send him up. Total panic. Uh, we, I had 37 cast members in Walmart, Kmart, Target, Disney Store. Couldn't find Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I was like, don't tell me this deal is going down because of what Disney company. Yeah. Buzz so we found one, but we had to have two identical ones. So then I get a call. It was just the year before smartphones, so you couldn't see who was calling in. Mm. And all I heard was, to infinity and beyond. I was like, who is this? And it was my wife. She goes, it's me, dear. I said, well, where did you get it? She goes, oh, it's been underneath James's bed. It's been collecting dust for five years. I said, oh, get it over here. Yeah. So I wrote James on his foot. Just as Andy wrote yeah, his yeah. name, and I sent oh, them wow. off, and I said to, I sent it off with a note to NASA saying, "Don't destroy that one. That's a real little boy's buzz." So off he went. We went down to the launch six months later, and I got quite emotional. I was like, "I'm not surprised." Buzz is going to space, so um, <clears throat> he's up there for a while, and then we were launching another Toy Story. I thought, "Well, how the hell do you stop sending Buzz Lightyear into space?" I thought, "I'm going to bring him home." So I phoned up the director of comms at NASA. I said, uh, "When are you bringing Buzz back then?" total silence on the other end of the phone i so i just tongue firmly in cheek i said um no man left behind right and he goes you've got to be kidding he said that was never in the contract never the deal i said well you bring stuff back right he goes no we don't i said well what do you do with it he says we open the hatch and just push it out <laughs> i was like so, so so i said to him i said i said so I, you would I, genuinely be an astronaut well no so i said i said you can't incinerate buzz Lightyear in the earth's atmosphere i'll leak it to the world's press that nasa killed buzz Lightyear. i mean my tongue was so far in my cheek anyway, yeah god bless nasa they agreed to bring buzz home they shat themselves um, and, uh... at the cost of let's just say lots of money per pound mm. to bring buzz back through the earth's atmosphere and <clears throat> This was in the day where if you had bad weather, the shuttle used to land in California. Mm. And you saw those wonderful images of the shuttle on the back of a 747 coming back across the country. I've got that passenger manifest. And it's literally seat 1A, Rear Admiral, blah, blah, blah. 1B, Congressman, blah, blah, blah. 1C, Astronaut, blah, blah, blah. Seat 12A, Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> My little Buzz is coming out. And Brilliant. so um, now if you go to the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., uh, you will find... Uh, Buzz Lightyear with a little uh, plaque underneath saying "Gift of James Wardle." Oh wow! So I did that uh, basically for a long time. But is there like, is there no one already doing that at Disney before you were there? Like, no. surely they have teams for of people yeah, for these kind of big but stunts. But you've got to go to the audacious ones. I mean, so. Um, so or, or sometimes, because people always say that money is a barrier to being innovative Pull and more, the microphone close a, to your and face, more sorry. creative. I don't buy that. I think you can have some very small, non-expensive ideas. So, for example, when we were launching our Twitter account, mm. I just looked and said, oh, wait a minute, we should do it with 140 characters. And everybody in the room looked at me like, well, of course, that's what Twitter... I said, you, you have no idea what I've just said, do you? And they're like, no. <laughs> I said, we're the only company in the world that could launch it with 140 characters. And they're all looking at me like, guys, 
Disney characters? And they're like, oh, like, seriously? <laughs> so we, we got 140 characters uh, in the shape of a hashtag, shot it from a crane, and that's how we launched the Twitter account. Didn't wow. Cost, didn't cost any money. Um, and the coverage was absurd. So yeah, I think yeah. sometimes it's about just the, the simplest ideas, I think, sometimes are the most clever. But back to <clears throat> the, the phone call when I got, when I was told I was in charge of innovation. Right? Um, and how do you then say, okay, how do you scale innovation? Well, um, first thing we did was we surveyed 5,000 people, Pixar, Lucasfilms, Marvel, Disney Parts, ESPN, and we asked them uh, what were the barriers to being more innovative and creative in a corporate environment. Um, and we heard the big five, which I think most companies would probably go, Ugh. Um, time or lack thereof, we don't give ourselves time to think, always consider the biggest barrier to innovation. We're risk averse, we've got quarterly results to meet. Mm. We are, um, we're still product centric, we're still, we build it, they will come. We say we're consumer centric, but then if you've asked, have you ever spent the day in the living room of one of your consumers, nobody can put their hand up. Yeah. Um, ideas get stuck, diluted or killed as they move through the organization. And then uh, we all had a different definition of innovation and creativity, so we're all heading in different directions. So those were the big five, and we thought, okay, how do we sort for that? So we tried four models of innovation. <clears throat> so the first thing I thought, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I'm going to phone the people that do. So I phoned IDEO, who are considered the gurus of innovation. Yeah, yeah. I said, hey, make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pretty easy brief. Uh, so they came in and they would work some amazing projects, give you some wonderful recommendations, and but then they would leave. You're like, oh, shit, now what do I do next? So um, so that was model A. Um, <laughs> model B Model B was, hey, let's create an innovation department. I'll be in charge of it. What could possibly go wrong? Um, you can act as a catalyst for change. But the message I believe that we sent to the organization when you create, and you don't mean to, but you with the best one in the world, when you create a team and call it something, you've just told everybody else in the organization you're off the hook. You don't need to innovate anymore. Right. You've got a team. Yeah. Uh, so uh, model three, we created an accelerator program where we brought in young startups who were very passionate about a piece of technology and an amazing piece of technology, but had no idea how to scale it. And of course, Disney knows how to scale. Of course. Um, so we worked with this wonderful girl out of, the, out of Great Britain. She had noticed that children would rather not wear their prosthetic limbs than wear them because they were ugly. So she said, what, and she pitched to us through the accelerator program and said, what if we could create su superhero prosthetic arms and prosthetic legs, Darth Vader ones and Iron Man ones. And Fuck that. me, I'd want they one. Just, right, they just <laughs> took off, right? I mean, go, go look at the the YouTube videos of these kids wearing them. It'll break, uh, just... Tears I don't just, know if I can oh, watch that. Just I'm a total Jesse when it comes so, to that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll be in um, tears. <laughs> so, so, but what I realized in all of those models, there was one thing missing. We hadn't changed our culture. Hmm. And so at the moment, innovation was trendy five years ago. Hey, let's get an innovation team. We'll have an innovation lab. Let's get an innovation <laughs> website. Is it driving the business? Don't know, but we've got, we've got, come on, guys. So um, here's the thing. If you listen to the C-suite now, they're saying, we must innovate. You must think differently. I encourage risk-taking. We need to I innovate and think differently. Mm. And all of their employees are sitting there going, that's great. How? Mm. And nobody was, because people say, why did you leave Disney? You were there th three decades. Well, I left because mortality. I got the Jiminy Cricket bronze statue. Thank you for 30 magical years of service. And instead of being oh, wow. grateful, I looked at it and thought, shit. I'm well over the hill. And then <laughs> the same week, I got an update on my life insurance policy, which said uh, they'd worked it out, white, Caucasian, 5 foot 10, cholesterol level, blah, blah, weight, 74. Yeah, oh, right. So then I'm up 75% of the way. Literally, right? So that Jesus. was, a, that was a, a bit of a wake-up call. I thought, i got to go do something different. And I saw the gap in the market. How? 
And it's, and so all I did was take the best of everything I'd learned from working with IDEO, Pixar, Lucasfilms, Marvel and Disney and created a design thinking toolkit that Fred and Sally want to use. Yeah. And, and the, here's the important part, because here's the thing. You've got to make innovation easy. You've got to make creativity tangible for people. But the, I would argue, and companies hate this word, fun. You can't change a culture by talking about it. The only way you can create change in an organization is by giving something to your employees that they want to use when you're not around. Therefore, you make it easy, tangible, and, and fun. fun. Um, and God knows, I did how many workshops for Apple last year? A very good friend of mine brought me into Apple. He worked for Disney for years. And um, I said to him, I said, you know what? As, as, uh, as a consultant, I'm beyond honored and thrilled. But if you need me to help you innovate, you're in more trouble <laughs> yeah. than you think you are. <laughs> but um, I've worked on some amazing projects. It, it took off so much that I thought, you know what? At my age, you know, I've had a bloody good life, had a bloody good run. It's time to get back. Mm. So last year, I picked three innovation projects um, where I picked not-for-profits, and they had to just write to me, tell me what they were up to, and I thought, I'll either play or I won't. So there was one little old lady in the outback in Australia, 78 years of age, bless her, and she hand-knits koalas to raise money to put to reforest koalas because there's there's a huge chlamydia issue because they're all too contained. Yeah. So she wanted to reforest it. But Bless her. You know, she was raising $5 a year and probably not going to get much. But I believed in what... But she spoke with the passion of a 16-year-old girl who just came out of a Jonas Brothers sure, concert. So sure. I thought, come on then, I'll help you. So we went off and basically, did you... Did the Ice Bucket Challenge make it to Scotland? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Did you know what ALS was before the Ice Bucket Challenge? Did no. you care? No. What they did geniusly was they didn't care. They knew that the consumer didn't care about ALS. But we're all vain enough right to use social media to say look at me aren't i a dork and here look at me yeah. and challenge somebody else they played in our vanity on our vanity in social media and so i gave her a campaign that would do that and then last year i got to go out to the derby slum in mumbai we talked about earlier on yeah, sure. um if people have seen slum dog millionaire it really exists there's five million people living in this area the size of like eight disney theme parks um and the challenge was to create light where there was no electricity i thought okay I haven't got a bloody clue how I'm going to do this, but hey, I've got a decent curry out of it, so I'll give it a go. So, <laughs> so uh, off I went, and there was this little boy who'd seen a YouTube video from another little boy who'd seen it who just noticed that if you put a bottle of water, a plastic bottle, and it has to be a certain size plastic, directly underneath a spotlight, and it has to be slightly less than half full of water, and you take the label off, when the, the sun, well, it's not sunlight at this point, but when the spotlight hits the bottle, the light refracts off the half-empty bottle and, and creates quite a lot of light. So <clears throat> we tried this theory of sticking them in holes in ceilings and getting it to the right, exactly the right level of water, exactly the right size of bottle. And so you bung it in the hole in, the, in their shed, and then during sunlight hours, obviously, yeah. uh, they can light the whole hut. Wow. So phoned a mate of mine who's That's the CMO so cool. at Evian and said, hey, you know, you're dumping your plastic bottles on the planet right now. I need 250,000 for free and you're shipping them. And he goes, yes, please. And we lit 250,000 houses without electricity. Wow. And I didn't, I mean, yes, I was part of it, but that <laughs> wasn't my idea. Yeah. And But when you walk away from a project like that, you feel really bloody good. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. So um, this year I picked another couple of like impossible projects. I haven't got a clue. Um, I'll give it a go. Yeah. So the kind of leaving Disney is not a, because I can imagine a lot of people would probably have been shocked. 
when you said yeah, you're leaving look, Disney look, after look, 30 God. years of service. Yeah, but you know what? God, in the last year, I've been to, I, I would never, I've never been to Australia in my life. I've been three times in the last year. I'm going to Kathmandu later this year. I'm in India later this year. I mean, I just, it's, and, and here's the thing. People come into a, a, take an innovation creativity workshop or a design thinking workshop. Most of them are there because they've told, been told to be there. So it's mandatory training. So they don't want to be there. It's part of their compliance package. They walk in the door and they'd be, if you ask a room full of people who here considers themselves creative, less than 10% of the room are going to put their hand up. Because they've been told for years, you're in finance, you're in sales, you're in operations, you're in engineering, you're in marketing, you're, in, you're not creative. The creatives, they're on the second floor. Oh, piss off. Everybody was born creative. I tell a story about when I bought my nephew a bicycle for Christmas when he was six. Mm. And it came in a huge box. Took him ages to get the wrapping off and the, you know, massive box, right? Takes the bike out of the box. Boom. What do you spend the rest of the day playing with? The box. Of course, right? <laughs> we all did, right? It was your castle. It was your rocket ship. It was your fort. And one day, mummy threw it out and you cried, yeah. right? So, and then you ask people, how old were you the last time you saw the castle? And usually people say about six. Well, what happens at six? <gasps> We go to school yeah. and the teacher tells it's just a box. And suddenly our creativity and our imagination starts to collapse down. And over time, you get more and more reductive. So children are very, they're very creative. Incredibly, their imagination is all over the place, right? Mm. Um, children are very curious. They ask why, 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 why? Then we go to school or get a job and we're told there's only one right, right, right answer. So we stop asking the second why. The insight for innovation comes on the fourth or fifth way. If you ask somebody, why do you go to a Disney park, which is what data would tell you, I go for the rides. Well, that's a capital investment strategy. But if you pause for a moment at childlike, not childish, and you said, well, why exactly? Why do you go for the rides? Well, I like Small World. Well, why, why on earth do you like Small World? Well, I remember the song. Well, what, what, what's so special about the song? Well, I used to go with my mum. Well, why is that important to you? Well, I go with my daughter now. What that person's just told you on the fifth why, which is why children keep asking, is the real insight for innovation. Um, they've just told you it's all about memory and nostalgia, not mm. about capital investment strategy. Um, a lot of people do focus groups. A lot of people, I don't know if you've ever sat in a focus group, but it's in a room like this, yeah, right? The I six have empty sat chairs. In a before. You're on the other side of the two way mirror with the dodgy MMs wondering whether or not you should actually dip into them or how old are they and why they look chipped. Um, do, does anybody live in a house with a two-way mirror and people staring through? No, no, it's not a relaxed environment. When you get people at home, two things happen. The first is called the self-regulation honesty policy. Because um, when we do focus groups, we invite 12 people into the room. There are 12 individuals, and there's a bit of BS in there, right? Because your, your loved one isn't there. So here's the thing. If you ask a bloke by himself, what do you do when you go to Disney? He'll go, oh, well, I, I drink beer and I play golf. I go on the thrill rides. I'm a manly man. If his wife is sitting next to him, she's going to go, oh, you're so full of shit. You did Small World <laughs> You did small world 17 times back to back. And you loved it. You get real honesty out of couples. They police each other. But it's not what they tell you. It's what you see. Mm. So we were tasked by Disneyland Paris, and it was a how might we make more money. Our data told we wanted to get more people to come. So our data told us who, uh, who had brand affinity, who'd been shopping online, who'd been in the last five years, and who was a 10 out of 10 of them coming this year, but they hadn't come. So our data was clearly missing something. And our product-centric culture, right, Ford, Coca-Cola, Disney, sure. uh, we build it, they will come. Why? Because why? we've always done it that way. So we decided to go off because we thought the data's missing something here. So we went and lived with 26 families for a day all over Britain. <clears throat> and here's what we found. 
Um, do you have kids? You're too young to have kids. No, not yet. Right, okay. So here's what we found. Uh, now, let me think. So in the living room of your parents' house, I'm going to take a bet here. There is a really dorky photograph of you when you were probably about eight years of age, totally looking like a spaz. <laughs> you wish they'd taken down off that wall years ago. How do I know? Because I, I'm right. It's somewhere in the house. I know it's there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you wish it had gone a long time ago, but they're not taking it down anytime soon. So here's what we found. Every household we walked into, when you asked how old the children were in the in reality, they were anywhere, because I said to this woman, oh, how old are your children, love? Four or five? She goes, oh, no, love, they're 14 or 15. You thought, well, that's odd. What, so do we not print pictures of our children anymore? So no, we still do. So we thought, all right, we'll push a bit harder. There's something here. Our intuition is telling us the data's missing something. So if you ask a parent, what do you want for your kids? At first pass, they'll tell you, we want them to go to kindergarten, junior school, middle school, high school, college, graduate, be happy, healthy, and successful. That's what we want. Bullshit. No, <laughs> Bullshit. We all want them back in that little photo frame. When we walk in a door at night, we are still Superman or Wonder Woman. They mm. come running towards us. They grab our legs. We wrestle. We fall down on the ground. Somebody farts and everybody loses it. Yeah. Those are the best years of your life. So we thought, there's, there's something here. So we dug a bit deeper, and here's what we found. There are three bittersweet transitions that take place between a parent and a child. Once you cross through that transition, you both immediately want to step back, but oh, too late. Now, these are mums telling me the story, but I'm a dad. I can use my own intuition. I remember exactly where I was the day my son came around his grandfather's door. It, it, he was 10. It was Christmas Eve. His eyes were half full of tears, you know, when they were just about to bubble and flow over. He goes, are you Santa Claus? It's like, Oof. Shit, didn't see that coming. And I was just about to lie. And he goes, Mummy said you are. And it hurt, not because it was imagination and creativity going out the window. It hurt because what he really said was, I'm not your little boy anymore. Dad. Yeah. Growing up. Um, dads who are listening and girls, girls, you won't remember where you were. Dads, you will. In a split second, I know where I was the day she dropped my left hand for the first time in public because she didn't want to hold daddy's hand in public anymore. She was 13. And um, if you ask dads where they were that day, even 27 years they'll later, they'll, and they'll tell you if it's their left hand or right hand. Um, the last one for us was last December. We, she got a job. We, moved, we live in Florida. She moved up to Manhattan. And uh, we dropped her off. We hugged. We cheered. We laughed. Got in the taxi, out to the airport, cried her eyes out all the way there. So, but don't forget, going in, our going in hypothesis was we build it, they will come. Well, that's a couple of hundred million dollar investment strategy. Yeah. But what we learned by just spending time with our consumer was that mum does not wake up in the morning and go, oh, I wonder if Disneyland Paris can have new rides this year. No, she wakes up every morning worried about how quickly her children are growing up and how she wants to make special memories for them while they still believe, while they still hold my hand, while they're still here. That's a communication campaign, one that drove sales 20% and turned a very conservative, product-centric, we-build-it-they-will-come organization into a consumer-centric organization where it's now mandatory for Disney executives to work two days a year inside the Disney theme parks as a frontline customer. Wow. Yeah. Like, so, in terms of, like, Disney's, you know, probably the, if not one of the most creative businesses in the world, but working, like, behind the scenes, so to speak, like, what are some of the, do you still suffer the same struggles that we all do, or... <sighs> Are you just different yeah, challenges? Yeah, of course you do. But I love it because I worked for Michael Eisner for many, many years. And wow. people criticized Michael. Uh, I just thought I loved him because, by the way, never quite got the credit. He saved the Walt Disney Company single-handed in 1984. Wall Street was going to raid it and sell off every different division to a different company. Michael Eisner saved, make no mistake, he single-handedly saved the Walt Disney Company. I loved working for Michael because every time you went in to pitch an idea, it wasn't big enough. And he'd always come back and he'd say, you know what, 
we're the world's number one entertainment company. Come back when you've got something that it does it justice. You're like, you're like, all right then, come on. Yeah. All right, give it a go. Um, <laughs> and um, he was right for his time, and then Bob Iger took over. And Bob's been fantastic because he's right. He Bob's very much leadership by influence, and he's you know, done a fantastic job with <laughs> you know the purchases of Pixar. But he's but he's done it right. Because he hasn't Disney-fied Pixar. He left their culture alone, which gave permission to George Lucas to say, you know what, I want to sell my babies. I want to retire, but I need them to be looked after and not Disney-eyed. Boom. Then Stan Lee came. Very yeah. fir- very, one of the very first meetings between Disney and Marvel. Uh, Disney was stupid enough to invite a bloke called Duncan into them. And, um, <laughs> and Duncan doesn't know a whole lot about superheroes. So Duncan inv- introduces himself to Stan Lee and tells him how excited he is because he grew up with Superman and Batman. And the oh. whole room looks at him like, and all the Disney guys goes, uh. yeah, he's from England. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. It's about having the audacity to ask the audacious question. Walt was genius at it. In 1940, Fantasia, he wanted it to mist inside the theater during drip, drip, drip. drip. Mm. He wanted heat pumped in on a night on a bare mountain. The theater owner said, no, well, it's too expensive. So he listed all the rules of going to a movie theater. It's dark, it's dirty, must go at a set time. There's an industry that needs to kick up the backside because nothing's changed. Oh, God, uh, yeah. But then he said, what if I could control the environment? Because he couldn't. And he was frustrated that he couldn't control the environment in which his consumers consumed his brand. So he said, well, what if I could? Well, that wasn't provocative enough. So he said, well, what if I take my movies out of the theater? Well, if I take my movies out of the theatre, they couldn't be two-dimensional because people wouldn't be able to see them. Or what if I made them three-dimensional? Well, if I made them three-dimensional, I'd have to have people play the characters. Well, if I had people play the characters, Cinderella couldn't live next to Jack Sparrow and Davy Crockett because people wouldn't be immersed in her story. So I'll have to put her in a different land. Oh, wait a minute. I'll call it Disneyland. Boom. The biggest creative solution of the 20th century. Yeah. because he challenged the rules of the industry. I loved Walt because he also re-expressed the challenge. So, come on, here, here's a challenge for you. Come on. I'm coming up to Edinburgh, uh-huh. and I'm going to open a car wash with you. We're going into business. Tell me the four essential ingredients we'd have to have in our car wash. Uh, water. Right. Soap. Yep. Sponges. Yep. Cars. Okay, that'll do. Water, soap, brushes, cars. Right. <laughs> Screw that. We'll. I'm coming up to Glasgow. Okay. And you and I are going to open an auto spa together. <laughs> now, what could we put in our spa? What could you put in a spa? Nasus. Right. Uh, and a sauna. Yep. Masseuse, steam room. Sauna, steam room. Aromatherapy. Aromatherapy. Right. So which one would you rather visit? <laughs> so here's the thing. It's not about which one would you rather visit. I asked you... I said car wash. You went straight into what I call your river of thinking. Soap, brushes, water, car. I yeah. said auto spa, masseuse. So it's about re-expressing the challenge to get people to think differently. So in 2000, well, no, here was the start. July 17th, 1955. Walt Disney said, we won't have any customers in our parks. We'll only have guests. And with that simple re-expression of a challenge, mm. it may sound oversimplified, but think about where you go when you're told he's a customer, she's a customer, and how you're treated, and how you're treated when you go to the threshold of your best mate's house or a Disney park. Yeah. He also said, we won't have any um, employees. We'll only have cast members. They'll be cast for a role in the show. And with that, he gave us all a badge of honor. Now, I've got a mate. I told you I started at the Rosencrown Pub in 1986. Yeah. <laughs> My mate's out the back driving boats. Hector Rodriguez, 53 years of age, jolly Puerto Rican guy, big, big guy, right? He's still driving the boats. You think, oh, that must be boring. No, not for Hector. Yeah, on the odd occasion, he comes over the house. He comes bouncing in the door and he'll go, now, you should see what I did for that guest today. Massive smile on his face. And he'll tell you with enormous pride about what he did for that guest today. Why? Because he's a Disney cast member. Yeah. Um, now, you accelerate that to 2011. 
instead of asking the question, how might we make more money? If you say, how might we make more money? That's called it iteration, right? Because we're quarterly results to me. And that will see most companies, the big brands out of business in the next 10 years, because they're mm. so focused on their quarterly results, they can't see the bigger picture. I'll come back and tell another story on that in a moment. <laughs> if we'd said, how might we make more money? Put the gate price up by 3%, everybody complains, we hit our quarterly results. But instead of saying that, we said, how might we solve the biggest consumer pain point? Now, you've been to a Disney park. What's the biggest pain? Queues. Of course. Right, standing in line, right? So we said, what if there was no line up front? What if we eliminated our front desks in our 27 hotels? What if we took away the turnstiles to the front of the park? Didn't know how to do it. If you know how to do it, it's not innovation. Mm. What if we eliminated the lines for your favorite rides, character meeting greets to pay for merchandise or food and beverage? Didn't know how we are going to do it. So we started to look around the world. Guess what? Ooh. RFID technology been around for a while. All we did was put it in a wristband, call it Disney's magic band. It arrives in the mail before you arrive to your Walt Disney World Resort Hotel. It is your room key. You don't check in or out anymore. It is your theme park ticket. The barriers, the, the turnstiles, they've gone. You swipe and go. Your favorite attractions for your character meet and greets or your favorite rides, reservations, swipe and go. You don't wait in line anymore. Um, I want an item of merchandise uh, to my hotel room. Touch it once, off it goes. To my house, touch it twice. Think of the per caps on that little stuff. Yeah, now, God. there are security features in place to stop children <laughs> touching absolutely everything. Um, but I, I save my uh, hot dogs on my smartphone. I want my pickles on the side, like garlic mayonnaise. Mm. Probably not, but there we are. Ketchup. Um, I'm going to Pinocchio's Village House for lunch today. Save. I walk into the restaurant. Restaurant knows I'm here. I touch the table 47. Food comes to me. Now, remember the beginning of the challenge. If we said, how might we make more money? We'd have made three percent. Three percent, hey. But because we asked, how might we solve the biggest consumer pain point? The average guest visiting Walt Disney World today has about ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes free time they didn't have four years ago. And what is it wow. you lovely people do with your free time in Disney? Spend Disney? cash, money. Single biggest <laughs> revenue generating idea since Disneyland opened its doors on July seventeenth, nineteen fifty-five. No capital investment required. No new parades. Oh, no, no new fireworks. No new uh, rides. No new vans. Or... No new attractions. Software. I mean, not cheap software. Yeah. Data? Data? Poof. You have no idea. Millions and millions and millions of people every year, every minute, every day are telling us live what they last us I've left yeah. uh, <laughs> 30 years <laughs> you can take the man out of the mouse but anyway yeah. um, but uh, are telling Disney live every second what they like and what they don't like which will inform the future products and services that yeah, Disney designs yeah I imagine that would be so, so powerful crowdsourcing now I'm going to come back and give you the most simple example because I thought it was the most impactful I was in New York recently waiting for an appointment I sat chatting to the young lady behind the reception desk for a while got upstairs i said to the boss i said hey i'm stealing your reception she's the most delightful empathetic wonderful young lady i've ever met she's coming with me he goes well how long were you talking to her for i said i don't know 10 or 15 minutes i suppose he goes oh that's odd i said well why is that odd then he goes well we don't have a receptionist i was like oh shit who the hell was i talking to for the last time I've <laughs> and he said i said well her name was sarah she had a cream dress on and uh, uh, a pleated skirt he said oh no 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 sarah yeah yeah no no she's our director of first impressions it's like Boof. <laughs> Right. Oh, wow. Right. So think about how she thought about her job. Well, my daughter's just got a job up in New York and I went to meet and everybody in her office looks like they're 10, including the CEO <laughs> from what I could tell. It's a social media agency. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm old, so everybody looks young. Um, but um, it was interesting because um, I met their senior vice president of HR. Wow. But she wasn't. She gave me a business card. Chief happiness officer. <laughs> well, what's her job? Yeah, just that simple re-expression of the challenge can get people to think in a completely different way. Um, so, oh, risk 
risk aversion. Here's why most companies are going under, because um, they believe more in quarterly results than their consumer if they continue to believe that way. Here's the thing. We know artificial intelligence is coming. Right. We know blockchain is coming. We know big data is coming. And we're spending and investing time and effort learning it, and we should. But who's watching Generation Z? This Generation Z, I've been abroad too long. Mm. Just, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, a generation that cares more about purpose than profit, who not only will not buy your products and services 10 years from now if they don't believe in what you stand for, they won't. They don't want to work for you. Well, how the hell are you going to stay relevant if people don't want to work yeah. for you? Um, here, by the way, most companies now think purpose is a charitable cause. For the record, it's not. It's what do you stand for? Hmm. Right, so I was asked recently, let's just call it the world's largest brand in making hammers, chisels, and sort of tools. Okay. Right? So, <laughs> so I thought, I was asked to give a talk to them about innovation. I thought, God, I don't know anything about the tool industry. I'm, you know, putting an IKEA bed together is a suicidal. Um, <laughs> something to do with those Swedish instructions and the little Allen key. Um, but um, <laughs> so I thought, I don't know anything about their business. I will go down to in the US. The two largest DIY stores are called Home Depot and Lowe's, mm. like B and Q. Yeah, sure. B and Q's that around are they still? Uh, yeah, B and Q's oh, still around. So, so I went down and just watched their consumers for eight. I freaked. The, I was like some creepy guy hanging out in the aisles, <laughs> freaking out their consumers. But I just watched the consumer at the point of purchase and listened. And here's what I heard. This generation do not know the name of this brand, nor do they care. They've never heard of them. They don't, they're not even talking about their products, the hammer, the chisel, or the saw. They're not even talking about their price point. They don't care. What they're talking about very animatedly and excitedly is, we're going to build our dream kitchen, our dream bathroom, our dream house. I said, your purpose, if you choose to create one, is you could be the brand who helps people build their dreams. And you can see the finance guys looking at me like, I'm going to shoot you in a minute because that has nothing to do with my quarterly results. Yeah. Because their definition of innovation at the moment isn't. It's iteration. We're going to expand into Mexico and India. They have a growing middle class. They'll buy our tools. If you're the brand who can help people build their dreams, could you be in banking? Yes. Could you be in finance? Yes. Could you be in insurance? Yes. Could you be in sports? Yes. Entertainment? Yes. Hospitality? Restaurant? You could be in any business any industry you want and they're like no we make tools okay for now mm. so i believe now this could be a total urban myth but i know we're printing houses in houston texas today on a 3d printer in their entirety wow. i've been told there was an article in i believe fast company about a city in china that they're currently printing on a 3d printer Jesus. Yeah. hello realty market realtors sell now yeah. um Print, uh, this I did see. I went to Hyderabad, India last year, and I saw a surgeon pr do a CAT scan on a heart and print that heart in 3D, see where the issues were, and then go in and operate. Wow. Amazon spent $4.7 billion, I think it was in the New York Times, um, on shipping last year. You think they want to do that 10 years from now? Absolutely not. No. So, if you could, They've also just acquired a humongous medical pharmaceutical company as well. Great. That's so, but, next. But think about it. So, I put it to you that... By 2035, 30% um, of what you buy on Amazon today, you'll print at home. That chair, you'll print at home. This table, too big for your printer. You'll have to go to a local printer. Mm. But if you can print pretty much anything you want on demand, 15, I can't tell you how many years, but it's not that far. Mm. Um, what will you be using the hammer, the chisel, or the saw for? Mm. Oh, no, they'll be in a museum next to my son's Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> but by golly, they'll make their quarterly results for the next three to five years. But because they don't have a purpose, they can't survive because Generation Z will see them out. Yeah, like you, you said something really interesting there, and so the kind of difference between iteration and innovation. Like, where it's do easy, you? So this one's an easy one. If you know how to do it, it's not innovation. Yeah, but but I was going to add a third layer Go to on, that. Then. So 
There's iteration, innovation, and invention. Okay. Where do you see? Yeah, no, where do you see the crossovers? Yeah, yeah. Well, where so do they differ? I think the companies that are very successful with invention are the companies that don't give their R and D team uh, a financial. Uh, you know, you've got to hit these result quarter right. results because if you do that. They'll think reductively. Children think expansively. Mm. They're constantly, how might we? And the more experience we get, the more expertise we get, we constantly worry about how we're going to get it done. Yeah, and, and you so, just filter yourself yes, naturally. Yeah, so it's about giving people tools to get them out of their river of thinking and thinking different. Actually, we'll try an experiment live on air, people. So grab a notepad. <laughs> Hopefully, grab a notepad. The intelligence now, the people won't be able to see, but they will. We'll, we'll talk about the end result. I'm going to give you seven seconds, and we're both going to draw the same object. I'm going to name it. <laughs> no copying. I saw you look at my sheet. Okay, so ready? Yeah. I want you well, to draw. Drawing? Well, I haven't told you yet. All right. Okay. I would like. <laughs> I would like you to draw a house. Okay. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Pens down. So let's see what you've got. Come on. Oh no way! <laughs> Fuck. Twins, baby, twins. So, so, so the questions you, I would ask is, why did you draw the a door at the front in the middle on the ground? Uh, why did you draw two windows, and why were you so insecure that you put, drew bars over them? And what shape is <laughs> and what shape is the roof? It's a bloody triangle. And by the way, if I'd asked everybody listening, they'd have drawn the same thing. Why? Because our river of experience tells us that's what a house looks like. Now, here's where you bring in your naive expert. What's the role of the naive expert? Naive in every expert. session you run, you bring. If you bring in a naive expert, here's their success criteria: they don't work for you and they don't work in your industry. Therefore, they won't solve the challenge for you. That is a totally unrealistic expectation. They will ask the silly question that you're too embarrassed to ask in front of your peers, and they will throw out the audacious idea because they're unconstrained by getting it done. Mm. Right. They'll, their job is not to solve it for you. Their job is to get you out of your river of thinking and thinking differently. So I had 12 white male American architects. In uh, We were going to design a new retail dining and entertainment complex for Hong Kong Disneyland. I asked them seven seconds, draw a house. This is what I got, what you drew. Yeah. Right? So, but I Are you telling me I could be an architect? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so I invited in a Chinese chef. She was female. She was under 30. She okay. was so she was completely the total different. opposite. Yeah. Well, while they all drew what we would draw, she drew a dim sum house, which, if you've never seen it before, is that round bamboo dish that your uh, prawn ball and pork ball would come in with a little chimney and a Chinese lady waving out the window. Um, <laughs> when we showed our pictures, we all drew the same house that you and I drew. Yeah. And we realized we stayed in our river of thinking of what a house should look like. She gave us permission to get out of our river of thinking. She'd drawn dim sum architecture. So somebody sat to post it note over her drawing. Dim sum architecture, distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. Seven years later, the strategic brand positioning for the Shanghai Disney Resort was distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. Wow. People don't understand the power of diversity. They generally don't. They think it's political correctness. Let's have our percentages in case we get sued, morons. Diversity is innovation. If somebody looks different to you, they think different to you. And if they think different to you, they can help you think differently. Yeah. I call it design thinking because people pay me for it. My mother says I'm full of shit and it's common sense. Yeah. <laughs> My parents can't say the same thing to be fair. Uh, it's kind of like similar to like when you're, whenever you're doing like a design sprint on like day three, you bring in the person that's kind of there to kind of fuck the whole thing up for yes. you. To, yeah. like, to yeah. kind of point out the flaws or go, so, that, oh, that's not going to work because logistically. So when you were not... a kid, did you watch Tweety Pie? Uh, yeah, of course. Okay, who used massive to massive Looney right. Tunes fan? Right, so who used to look after Tweety Pie? 
the little old lady. Right. Do you know how many people say Sylvester? You're like, no, you idiot. Sylvester was trying to catch it. <laughs> so um, we were doing a strategic pricing session, otherwise known as how might we make more money. And um, we had all the senior execs in the room. And I said, I want, I want to invite in Mildred. And nobody knew who Mildred was. Mildred was a 78-year-old part-time cast member who worked in our call center who looked exactly like Granny from Twitty Bear. <laughs> Horn rim glasses, bun tied back yeah. to hand crocheted cardigan. And I said to her, I said, why do you do this, Mildred? You're 73. You could be retired. She goes, well, my husband died a few years ago and it keeps me company. I'm like, oh, made me really sad. I said, um, and she goes, and I love chatting to people. And I said, okay, well, that's cool. I said, well, what do you not like about it? She goes, oh, that's easy, dear. My boss. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> I said, why do you not like your boss? She said, oh, he makes me get off the phone. And it was very obvious that she's there for the banter and the chatter. Yeah, of right? course. And the gossip. So I said, well, I said, okay. I, I said, well, um, how many people do you book? She said, well, for every 20 calls I get, I book like one family of four. I thought, okay. Is that good or bad? I don't know how to think about it. Yeah. She, it's not a cheap holiday. Flights, car rental. I said, I said, um, what is that good or bad? And she said, well, I, can, I reckon I could get four out of 20 if they didn't think I was lying to them. I almost spat my coffee out. I was like, I don't give up. You're the most trusted grandmother on the planet. Grannies are the most trusted people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Working for the single most trusted brand on the planet. Now, how in a survey, you don't need a survey to tell you this, how do you know when you're the most trusted brand on the planet? People hand you their babies when they go to the restaurant. That's how you know you're yeah. the most trusted brand on the planet. And you only get that position once. So I said, what, what do you mean? She said, well, it, it, it's um, we've got this policy called guest request don't suggest. I said, what the hell is that? She said, well, if they if a consumer's calling in and we've got an offer online, uh, if they don't mention that offer first, I'm not allowed to. I was like, oh, that sounds a bit weird. So I went off to meet the head of uh, uh, strategic pricing and I asked him about this policy. He said, tell me about this guest request don't suggest. And he told me how much it was worth in millions of dollars of incremental revenue. And I said, well, by cheating people. And mm. he said, well, we're not cheating them. We just don't make the offer first. I said, well, Mildred here reckons she could get four or five out of 20 if she was out of the policy. Could we take her out for six weeks and see how she performs? Sure enough, six weeks later, Mildred and her friends uh, were averaging four or five out of 20 out of the policy. The surprised. policy went away and Disney made a bucket load more money. So again, the role of the naive expert is not there to solve the challenge for you. That is an unfair expectation. The role of the naive expert is to give them permission to ask the silly question throughout the audacious idea, challenge your thinking to get you to think differently. Wow. I use one in every session I run. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is that like, I mean, you've worked with uh, companies of all kind of different shapes, sizes, industries all over the world. Do you see any trends between, you know, the size of company and how, you know, flawed at innovation and creativity they are? Are the smaller, newer yeah. companies better than of the older? Yeah, the, the small, so, there's a, so the bigger companies know how to scale everything. Uh, providing they were given 300 years to do it. So, uh, have you ever heard of have you ever heard of Go.com? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you heard of it? Yeah. God, you must be the only person on the planet. So this was going to be our rival to AOL and Yahoo, and it was going to be. And we, but we spent so long trying to get it perfect before we launched it that it was in the market for 18 yeah, it months. Yeah, died. So now you want to see the world's greatest example of prototyping? Here it is. Right. Have, do you have one of these? Yeah. Okay. What 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 version do you want? Uh, I've got the iPhone 8. Okay, and how many have you bought along the way? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, and eight? Well, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, first one, what? The volume button didn't work. Second one, the scratchy button, the screen scratch. Third one, that the pixels weren't good yeah. enough. Fourth one. Yeah, they never bothered to get it right. If they got it right, you wouldn't buy a new one. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they prototyping and speed to market. Genius. Absolute genius. So, I wish the battery would last a bit longer. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I've got one of those <laughs> charge packs. Uh, 
um on that then like everything that you know i've been to many disneyland parks both paris and orlando um and like everything seems perfect like all the rides obviously because they need to be because otherwise there's safety issues but even like the parades even the meet and greets like the smells as you walk through somewhere where there's meant to be a bakery then all of a sudden you can smell a bakery all this kind of stuff yeah like so does that logic still work there because like yeah, or because have they look, never perfected it yeah. do you still no like... you've, you've never i think the, the one of the greatest things about uh both michael and bob was and where companies go wrong is when you're at the top of your game is the time to challenge yourself and i think a lot of companies get to the top of their game and they stop challenging themselves so disney parks record revenues record attendance but you know we're asking okay but what about you know where's the future uh, and so that's came around with disney's magic man yeah um, walt never settled you know, Walt was, it's funny, he was never the, he never created the new technology, but he was always the first one to use it. Walt was first to use sound in a cartoon at Steamboat Willie, 1929. He was first to do a full length animated feature film that people said nobody would go see called Snow White. Yeah. First to create a theme park, Disneyland, 1955. First use of color television, Wonderful World of Disney, 1965. First to create a, an experimental prototype of Community of Tomorrow, which he saw as a city, not a theme park. So Walt wasn't scared of new technology and, and uh, he was always the first to use it. And I mm. think Disney's very good at that as well. I mean, Disney Plus launches in what, a couple of weeks from now? A streaming. Yeah. So, um, no, it's it's yeah, but here's the other thing about the parks. What Walt understood, you know, we're just beginning to coin the phrase you started to hear it in the last six months, the experience economy. Ooh, because that sounds really good. Um what do you think Walt created on July 17th, 1955? Right? I mean, God. nobody calls Disneyland a shopping mall, but guess what? Per square foot, the single most successful square foot retail mile on the planet. I but, can imagine. But you don't think of it. So and this is where retail's got it wrong. They think per square foot first, experience second. So they'll put a color picture on the back of an end cap and think, oh, we've done some innovation. A physical retail is just, oh, if they're around in five years from now, I'll just, but if you, but here's, here's why experience counts. Generation Z and millennials want experiences. And think, of, so for example, I, again, watch your consumer. I've been going to New York six times a year, every year for 20 years. And it used to be Starbucks on every corner, but now it's Dave's Coffee Shop yeah. and Sarah's Coffee. What do you think Airbnb is? It's a call from a new generation for individualized, Absolutely. personalized, customized experiences. So if you're Hilton or Marriott or McDonald's, and for 100 years, your success model has been built on looking and feeling the same. Yeah, yeah. they're nice. I mean, I've been working for some cruise ships recently, and they think uh, bigger. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> By the way, you saw Venice ban the big cruise ships. Yeah, and Venice, I believe, has just announced a gating policy. They're going to gate well sustainable tourism. Yeah, right? I know. I mean, look, God, I'm surprised cruise ships have made it this far. I know. If right? I'm but, honest, but considering the, you've got 1.4 billion Chinese people who've just been told you can go on holiday outside the country, and God bless them, they should. Yeah. But sustainable tourism now is it will become a massive issue in the next decade. Yeah. I've just been asked to go and do some work for Machu Picchu on turning their train into an experience. Wow, that would be cool. I know, I've right? always yeah. wanted to go to Machu Picchu. Are us, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard you in like old uh, interviews and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, different kind of TED talks and things like that discuss how curiosity is critical to creativity. Could you tell us kind of what you personally mean by that? 
Yeah, well, I talked about the why, 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 why again. Right? Yeah. So the insight for innovation comes on the fourth or fifth why. Uh, the story I told you about going into people's houses and being nosy, right? Mm. Quite frankly, and finding that picture. Um, it's um, Albert Einstein once said, "I'm not particularly clever. I'm just innately curious." And his curiosity obviously led to many different things. Um, we were doing a, a project to get more Hispanic consumers to come to Walt Disney World. Okay. And so we go off and our curiosity, our data told us, you know, they uh, they spend a disproportionate amount of money on their family time together. They over-index on Disney. They should be coming, but they weren't coming. So we thought, hmm, let's go find out some more. So uh, we go off and we'll meet with a curiosity, a weird, now stay with me, a weird, a deep, and a normal. A weird is somebody, a person that you'll interview, who um, has a tangential relationship to your challenge but doesn't work for you. A deep is somebody who works in your industry but doesn't work for you. And a normal is you're going to go live with your consumer for a day. And you start to bring clues together from meeting with these people. Mm. And you can get back in a room. You could have 2,000 post-it notes on the wall of individual things you've noticed along the way. Written first person. I heard Sally say, not what I heard Sally say. Yeah. You know, I saw, not what I thought I saw. Because then you're already putting your own idea, you know, and then okay, well, yeah. I'm very guilty of putting my own idea and then backing <laughs> it, then backing it into the consumer insight. No, that won't drive business results. Um, so we went off and met with a Mexican American car dealer. And people are like, What are you doing? I said, Look, he knows who could afford his brand. He knows they've got brand affinity. They've got an older model. He knows they've been into the store five times in the last five months. So he knows they're looking for a new car. He sells cars. We sell vacations. But the challenge is still the same. He's not conversing. Mm. So we went up for a couple of days. And uh, on day one, he said, we're going to drive the car over to the Ramirez family tomorrow. We're going to leave the car on the drive. I'm going to tell them they've got it from two till four. And they can do whatever they want with it. I don't care. So you go along and you observe. And I wrote down two or three clues. Uh, they're individual clues, so that you know they they don't have to be politically correct because they're just for you. So the first clue I wrote down was um, how many Mexicans can you get in a car? Because you know we Brits, we need our personal space, right? Yeah. So maximum you'd have four, <laughs> and the, the they seem to have like twelve inside the car. And so that was the first clue I wrote down. The second clue I wrote down was um, oh the abuelita, the the granny wound down the window and said, um, when there's a fiesta, we fiesta. When there isn't one, we make one. Um, and then the third clue I wrote down was the more of them, the family that there were in the car, the louder the laughs, the bigger the giggles. Just a clue. Doesn't, yeah. None of these clues mean anything until you get back together. Now you fast forward and we go off to meet our deep. She was a travel agent. This was 2010 when the mortgage crisis hit. And right. she said, I only sell at rack, which is 100%. I was like, how are you selling at rack? Everybody else is discounting. She said, well... I just sit, make sure that they understand there's something there for everyone. Abuelita, abuelito, tío, tío, camada. Because once they understand there's something for everyone, I can sell whatever I want. I was like, okay. So I thought about my own family, as you know. They're, they're, I've married half of Mexico, by the way. Um, and so um, for my parents-in-law's 50th anniversary, they wanted a cruise line for the anniversary celebration. They didn't care what brand of ship they went on, where the ship was going, what the ship had on board. They wanted five tables of 10 together for dinner every night because they knew that would be the highlight of the holiday. Fast forward to going and living with a, a Mexican consumer, a Mexican-American consumer for the day. And we were just chatting about her little boy's birthday party the week before. He was probably two. And you know when you're two, you don't really have that many friends. So yeah. your parents invite all their friends. right? So she said there were 56 people at the party, but the party wasn't complete because one, his uncle, her brother, wasn't there. And she was furious. So now you start to string those clues together. Okay, uh, The more there were in the car, the laughter, the louds, the bigger the giggles. How many Mexicans can you get in the car? Uh, when they realize there's something for everyone, I can sell at rack. 
but the party wasn't complete because one wasn't there. All we wanted was five tables of 10 together for dinner. What they're telling you is, and this is how we build a, a, what we call a, a, an opportunity platform, is it's consumer insight by business opportunity. Consumer insight is there's something about and there's, there's something about the shared emotional value Hispanic families get out of being together in larger numbers. Boom. That was the insight we had seen from everybody. Yeah, sure. The business opportunity is how might we create a series of new products and services that allows the Hispanic to consumer to gather en masse. Uh, very successful. Uh, and what we realized was we didn't have the products and services, so there was no point in saying we were relevant because we weren't. And then they'd have come and they'd have been disappointed. But again, it's uh, it's about being curious and going out, looking where your competition isn't. If you only look, see big data is going to get better and better and better. But if you're looking at big data and your competition's looking at big data, where will you find the insight for innovation that they can't follow? Right. So sometimes it's actually by going out and doing what I call the weirds, deeps and normals, where you find that one insight for innovation that is either buried on page 37, bullet point 14 of your consumer insights <laughs> report. You can't feel data. Mm. And you want if you want to convince an organization, you have to make them feel. Right. OK. So seems that like you mentioned it yourself, that there's a lot of innovation experts and consultants out there. But uh, not many with a CV like yourself. What are some of the bad recommendations that you've seen other people flag to folk and you're just like, shut up, shut up, shut up? I think it's when the <laughs> consultants come up with the big idea, but they're not responsible for executing it. I think it's very easy to come up with an idea if you don't have to execute it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one. I think another one is... Um, just not truly being embedded in what the consumer wants. And I'm just, uh, by the way, I've been just as guilty. I think we all are. Oh, yeah. I but I won an award. I got lots of awards. Did it drive business results? No. But no, no, but I won lots of awards. No, it's, it's and most companies, again, I, I suppose the biggest advice was for 20 years, I'd never met a consumer. I was head of global public relations. I was, I was a god. I had my own cappuccino machine and my assistant. <laughs> what possible need could I have to step down from Mount Olympus and spend a day with the consumer? Um, most, uh, if not all, senior executives in a company have never spent a day with their consumer. And I think they're really struggling because of it. Because I think if they were to do it and work on the front lines for a couple of days, they would just have a completely different perspective of what the real consumer truth is. Mm. Uh, and I would encourage, I suppose, advice, rather than criticizing other consultants, because uh, God knows we all make mistakes, um, I would just, if you could get the, the board, the most senior people out to meet with their consumer, I think you could help. Check. Because here's the thing, from 1920 to 2020, we built it, they will come work. Yeah. So why would I walk away from that? Why would I become consumer centric? Why would I have a purpose? Because this has worked for 100 years. Um, and the only way to help them understand that is to have them go spend a day with the consumer. Wow. It's so easy to do now as well. Like there's no reason not to it do is. it. Like yeah. it's, got, it's yeah. not getting uh, yeah. any harder. That's yeah. for sure. And I would suggest not through the two way mirror. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were like, just before we went on air, like you were telling me your schedule, which sounded. It's a little daft. Yeah, it made my blood pressure rise, and it's not even my schedule. Like you're an incredibly busy man. So how do you know when you're traveling and you're almost on a different continent every week? How do you relax and unwind? And like, how do you? I just drink more than everybody else. I think. <laughs> open, open fourteen. There's a plug for open fourteen coming in. Yeah. Um, no. um, I just. I love creativity. I love ideas. I can't stop myself. And that so just comes just, through just, naturally through so, um, how you speak about it. So now so. close your eyes for a second. Where are you and what are you doing when you get your best ideas? 
Don't think about it. Just shout it out. Probably in my bed. Right. So you can open your eyes. Here's what you'll hear when you ask people. Shower, bed, waking up, falling asleep, gardening, commuting, staring at the wall, large glass of something, um, driving oh, to work, well. yeah. rogging, uh, jogging, running. The only two words you never hear are at work. Like, oh, shit. I'm paid to have big ideas at work. Now, <laughs> close your eyes again. I want you to picture the last verbal argument you were in with somebody. The good news is you don't have to tell anybody about it. So the more honest you are with yourselves, the more you'll get out of this. Tell me when you can see it. Okay. All right, open your eyes. So you're angry at Fred, right? Fred, you son of a bitch. You blind copied my boss on that email. You t bastard. I'll never work with you again. Storm out of the office. Slam the door. Incredibly pissed off. Go over to Starbucks, get my decaffeinated, non-fat uh, almond milk cappuccino. God, I've become, what have I become? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> so five minutes after the argument's over, you're beginning to relax. You sat down, you're just calming down there. What just popped into your head five minutes after the argument finished? Like a good line to the say. The ultimate comeback, right? The killer one-liner. The, oh, shit, if I'd have said that, he'd have gone down. Um, <laughs> we all laugh because we all know that none of us can come up with a killer one-liner during the argument. It's always just as you step away, just yeah. as you step into the shower, just as you walk away from the argument, you come up with a killer one-liner with a big idea. Why? 87% of your brain is subconscious. Only 13% of your brain is conscious. Most of us use 13% of our brain, 95% of our working day. Right? Right, okay. But if you could just open, it's called the reticular activating system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it a door because it's easier. If you could just open the door between your conscious and subconscious, 87% of all your experience, all your expertise, every challenge you've ever worked on, every industry you've ever worked on, all this stuff that's back there, but you can't access it when that door is closed. So you have to be able to open it slightly. Now, people hurt, hate the word play and playful. I'm not asking people to be playful every minute of every day. Life would be great fun, but you wouldn't get any work done. You <laughs> I'd get fired. finally be fired. But by being playful at just the right moment in time, you just open that door just wide enough. So when I come in, I call them energizers. I run one right at the beginning of the session. And every time people take a break, because when they take a break, they're going to hit their cell phones. They're going to look at their emails. They're going to get stressed. The door's going to close. All it is is a fun exercise to get people to laugh. The moment I've got laughter, I know I've just opened that door just wide enough. Uh, okay. I've metaphorically placed them back in the shower. It's either that or bring showers into the office. And that, <laughs> no, that would be really ugly. I've got a couple of workshops coming up, so I might just steal your ideas. Steal on, well, here's the other one. The more expertise. So let's try this. Come on. Right. We've we've been briefed for tonight. Mm -hmm. and we've got $100,000 for tonight's party, right? Um, I'm going to come at you with some ideas. I want you to start each of your response with no because and tell me all the reasons you've always heard. Now, are you more familiar with Star, Star Wars, Harry Potter? Uh, not a fan of either of those, okay. unfortunately. Marvel, Disney? Marvel, more so, yeah. All right, Guardians of the Galaxy? Not seen that. Shit. Uh, Avengers? I've seen some of them. Oh, well, who, well, tell, me some, tell me a topic you're familiar with that we could make a party of. Uh, UFC, MMA. UFC, what's that? Oh, wrestling. Yeah, oh, like the oh, cage fine. fighting. Cage, right, fine. I, I don't know anything about it, but who cares? It's a party. <laughs> right, okay, so... We could, so don't forget, you're going to start with no because. So we could do ooh, a giant cage fight, right, with everybody in pink flamingo leotards. No because I can't see any fighter wanting to wear pink leotards. No, fair right. Oh, but what if we did leopard skin, right, and then put the, you know those caps they wear for rugby to get the, stop their ears getting wrapped up? Mm. We could actually do, and actually throw a rugby ball in and it would be like Gaelic football on steroids. No, because I don't think anyone would really want to watch that. Okay. So what if we got the stars of UFC to actually come along to our party and 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 we could pick one person from the party who had too much to drink, a bit of bravado, and actually have them go in and wrestle with them? 
No, because I don't think we'd be able to afford all the fighters. Mm. Okay. All right. So we'll stop there. Okay. okay. We're going to do it the other way, but let's pick it. I wasn't very good with wrestling, so let's pick something else that we've... Um, oh, look, it's the rugby... Okay, no, don't talk about the rugby World Cup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, what else? What else are you familiar with? Anything? A cartoon, a movie theme that you like? Uh, uh, I love movies. Um, you could probably pick Disney, to be fair. I okay. know quite a lot about Disney. Right, okay. so. What Favourite film? Aladdin, probably. Right, okay, all right. We're going to do an Aladdin theme party. Only this time, still got the same budget, $100,000. Uh, each response is yes and, and we'll build it together. Yes okay. and. Yeah. So okay. I was thinking, right, we could do this. Uh, we could theme the room into Agrabah because we've got $100,000. Yes, and maybe we could get a real elephant. Yes, and we could get, oh, we could suspend the carpets halfway up the, yeah, and make fly, and do flying carpet rides. Yeah, and maybe we could have an augmented reality genie yes and we could have kim kardashian as jasmine <laughs> <laughs> yes and have kanye west rap exactly a song so, so here's the thing right so so the first time around when it was no because how, yeah. was, how was that if you were thrown out the idea how was that pretty negative like and you're not getting anywhere fast right. and most of us say no because because the more experience we have the more reasons we know why something won't work and we leap to no because first sure. right um the yes and one how was that more fun for starters so here's what you, you'll hear more laughter more giggles more uh hands in the air um second time around did the idea get bigger or smaller bigger right and by the time we finished building it whose was it Ours. Bingo. Never underestimate when you work inside a big organization with lots of layers, lots of a hierarchy, lots of approval levels, local government, local constituents, the ability to shift the power of my idea to our Okay. The moment you can move your idea from my idea to our ideas, the moment you can accelerate its opportunity to get done. Mm. The other one is when you're pitching ideas in particular. We tend to say, oh, we're scheduling a presentation for Tuesday. Oh, the moment you call it a presentation, you've invited them to think reductively and they haven't got in the room yet. Yeah, because you know what a presentation right. looks like. So now, uh, you have a game show in Britain. I'm sure it wasn't called American Idol, but there was a singing show, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, like, I was, Right, like, and you had three people there. Oh, Simon's Got Talent or whatever his yeah, name is. Yeah, yeah, Britain's Got Talent. Right, okay, so uh, Simon Cowell and Simon the other Cowell people. And, I don't know who was in the yeah, British nor do I. Um What did they used to sit behind? A desk. Ah, a table, yeah. And what were they? What was their role? Judges, judges. The moment you put somebody on the other side of a uh, of a table, they will think reductively. Uh, okay. And most of us stand at the front with a clicker, right? And that's how we've always done yeah, it, right? That's how we always do it. And uh, here's here's a, a tip for people who are presenting. By the way, how many digital presentations have you sat through this year? Roughly to the oh, nearest ten thousand. Right, exactly. Like. Do you want to sit through another one? No. <laughs> uh, are you? Are we awake by slide thirty-seven? We want to be. No. Yeah. Take your presentation and print it out and stick it on the wall all the way around this. Here we are in a boring boardroom. Mm. Uh, stick it all the way around the room and invite your client or your guest to get up and go for a walk with you and go around. And here's what happens. When you walk with somebody, a presentation turns into a conversation. And instead of thinking reductively, they will think expansively and they'll build on your work as you go all the way through. Cover the final recommendation because we always know they read ahead. Mm. Uh, the other thing is bring the face of your consumer into the room so it's not just you. I always bring the photographs of everybody I've met along the way with verbatim quotes. Suddenly there's an army of us with the same wow. message. But it's that walking. It's walking with somebody turns a, a, 
a, a reductionist into an expansionist. And instead of shooting down your work, they'll build on your work. Yeah, um, wow. And if you don't believe me, it's okay. If you think I'm nuts, I am. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Don't try it on your boss the first time out the door. But here's what you could do. Take your best mate, take your deck, mm. and present it the same way you always have and record their feedback. And then do it the way I've suggested. It doesn't work 99% of the time. It works 100% of the time. Instead of thinking reductive, they'll think expansionist and they'll build on your work as you wow. go. You may need to change the final recommendation as a result. Who cares? They've already bought into it. Yeah. Wow. I'm sold. I'll definitely have to give that a whirl. Just to wrap up, because I know you're a busy man, we have a few listener questions. All right, fire on. Uh, I'm still waiting for my listener question jingle. I'm hoping that somebody who's listened will make me one. Bing, uh, bing, bing, bong. <laughs> yeah. It's great because like every time I've said that, uh, I guess it's a filled <laughs> in one. So I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna like keep, I'm just gonna keep, you know, compiling them all together. What was the Tony Blackburn one? I'm showing my age here. You should, uh, get, yeah. you should get the Tony Blackburn. One. You should. Oh, yeah, I just you always play all the ones from the seventies, like Noel Edmonds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they all have one. The catchphrase one and things like that. Oh, um, say what you see. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> Sorry, they're all because... Disney focused, uh, as you can imagine. Yeah. But um, some of them are good questions actually. Jack from Bristol has asked. Do uh where are we? Sorry, um, does the Disney magic slightly decline when you get to work behind the curtain? As Not you a say? bloody chance. I did it for thirty years, and I'm yeah. like a kid in a candy store. No, it's uh, look. If anything, look, the magic probably gets better because well, you're like, oh my the, god, you see so, the amount of work look, that goes into it. Miserable, miserable Brit, right? Because that's what we are. And so uh, my very first day on the job, I didn't want to say have a nice day. I was like, screw that. I'm not saying have a nice day. And by the way, the Disney smile, girls. Uh, what, uh, wait a minute. Let me see if I get this. Uh, girls, no, boys. One set of teeth. Have a nice day. Girls, both sets of teeth. Have a nice day. Right down to the princess wave. You know, so, sort of yeah. crowd, crowd, individual, individual. Um, here's the thing. I was a very cynical person when I first arrived in a Disney theme park. I was like, I'm not going to bloody say have a nice day. Um, if everybody's smiling, it is infectious. And so no, and 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 when you see, so for example, here's an average guest letter. Have you seen Turtle Talk with Crush? Uh, yeah, like clips, but yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Though. Right, so it's an attraction where mm. you can walk in. It looks like a theater yeah. with a giant uh, fish tank at the front. But as you walk in, you realize an animated fish tank. Everybody sits down. The little kids sit right at the front. And then Crush, the Australian turtle, comes right up to the screen, bangs his head on it, and the kids laugh. Mm. And then he farts, and the bubbles go up, and then the little kids lose it. And then he goes, um, hey, you, the little boy with the Nike gray T-shirt with the little logos on it, what's your name? And the little boy will say his name. But he's stunned that the turtle is talking to him. Yeah. So, uh, and, um, so we got a letter from mum, what a seven-year-old boy. And um, she wrote to us about her boy. I can't remember his name. Um, he was autistic and he hadn't spoken oh. for three and a half years. Wow. And he had a 12-minute conversation with a turtle. You're fucking kidding. And that's when you know you're working with the good guys. Wow. And here's the thing. Oh, so if anybody, this isn't a plug because it's got, it wasn't a good, I was asked to create something to support a campaign idea. I, came, I actually believe, genuinely believe, everybody has a Disney side. It's the side of you that wants to behave like a child, that wants to put on the silly, goofy hat. and don't, But you can't in real life. But at Disney, you can. You yeah. see all these grown men in these ridiculous hats. Um, so I set out to prove it. And I went to a shopping mall in Long Island. And we took over a, a window. You know when the stores are closed and the new one's coming, but it's just opaque glass and it says coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> so we stuck the Disney characters on the other side, massive lights behind them. And then as consumers would walk backwards and forwards in front of the opaque glass, we sent out a character that looked like the person and they would mimic everything you did. 
<laughs> and my boss said to me, he said, well, what's your goal? I said, my goal is easy. Uh, I want to beat um, Nicki Minaj uh, taking her clothes off in Anaconda. That's my goal. Uh, and we had 100 million. That's a pretty tough goal. We, uh, no, we had 100 million hits in a week. Wow. Um, because it was so genuine. Uh, and and so, but the uh, the brand strategy team come up. No, oh, where, where's our logo? I was like, well, guess what, dudes? He's five foot two. He's got big book, big ears, and everybody loves him. But it's it's just that, that sheer joy that you see when if you take Nikki into a normal environment outside of the park, yeah. and he just walks around the corner. People's face just like, so. Here we go, nineteen eighty uh, something. Hmm. Uh, we were tasked with taking Air Force One. Uh, people can Google it. It was the Mickey Mouse hot air balloon. We had permission to be in the Soviet Union, not Russia. So the war was about to come down. Gorbachev was on his way out, but we had permission to be there to do a piece of pre-filming. Yeah. We were roped, uh, um, um, tied up, tethered in Red Square up to about 700 foot, just floating, filming. When the wind took off, well, now, if you had common sense, this would probably, you know this, but I don't have any, uh, you go where the wind takes you. And if you're in a hot air balloon with giant big black ears on it, you go very quickly where the wind takes you. <laughs> and so we shot over the walls of the Kremlin and all, and there was lots of suggestions that we might come down quickly or worse yeah. to that effect. So we came down and there was, I think it was the only time in my life where I've thought, mortality is here yeah. or I'll never see my family again and the Russian guards the KGB whatever they were came screaming towards the basket Kalashnikovs the big fluffy yeah. hats and you thought wow was this it and what did they want a photo yeah they wanted their picture of Mickey Mouse <laughs> <laughs> and by the way the last one I'll share is this Michael Jackson when he came uh, when he was still you know uh, a superstar he came to Great Ormond Street Hospital and he wanted to bring Mickey Mouse with him to to Meet and greet the kids. So he thought, all right, we'll provide Mickey. And um, this was a long, long, long time ago. And uh, but Michael didn't want to get in the same helicopter as Mickey. Like seriously. Anyway, fine, whatever. So <laughs> Michael, I was on the ground outside Great Ilman Street Hospital when Michael Jackson landed, and as you can imagine, the crowd went yeah, mad. ballistic. Yeah. When Mickey Mouse got out of his helicopter, beat the crap out of Michael wow. Jackson. Wow. <laughs> I was like, take that. Yeah. <laughs> so no, behind the curtain. No, it's it's just. And it's amazing because you genuinely, if your job is, you know, when you say, what's your job? Well, my job's to make people smile. Well, that's a bloody good job then, isn't it? Yeah. Now I loved it. And uh, every now and then we go and work. We were told you have to go and work inside the park as a frontline cast. Wow. Best day. They're the best I days. can imagine. Brilliant. You probably days. ended up looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael from Baltimore, American, uh, tuning in, asks, when one of your employees starts to get a creative burnout at work, what are some of the methods as a boss, mentor, or co-worker could you do to help put some of the magic back into their work? So, I asked a question earlier on about uh, when you were in an argument, could you come up with a killer one-liner? No, because yeah. we don't give ourselves time to think. Um, and if you look at your diary for next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, it's already full. And we hear ourselves say, I don't have time to think. But the moment you give people time to think, they can come up with a killer one-liner or the big idea. But guess what? We don't give ourselves time to think. So one of the most successful companies on the planet, Google. And what is it? This magic secret sauce that they have that nobody else on the planet seems to have. They have a company policy called 20% time. Their engineers get 20% of their time to think. Hmm. And that has given birth to Gmail, Google Goggles, Google Maps, and self-driving cars. Not a bad return on investment. Now, I'm sure particularly small entrepreneurs are looking at me like, oh, yeah, one day a week? I don't think so. No. One day a month, the first Friday of every month, do two things. Have a brown bag breakfast around your table, 
five employees, 20 employees, who cares, right? Mm. From 9 till 10 a.m., first Friday of every month, and just have them come in and talk about something that they're passionate about that they think they've seen in the last 30 days in their personal professional life that they thought was innovative or creative. No PowerPoint presentations, no why is it good for the business. They've got enough work to do. People will talk from passion. And the amount of ideas that you could tie back to that breakfast conversation. Um, the other thing you could do is pretty risky. One day a quarter. Okay. No meetings, no emails, no presentations. That sounds like bliss. Time, <laughs> time to think. Give yourselves and your employees time to think. They desperately need it. Okay, wow. Great answer. Uh, Angelica from Edinburgh asks, what are the three main values that you appreciate in your colleagues? Wow. Integrity. 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 <laughs> passion yeah um you know it's uh, everybody's i'll tell you one, one thing i have learned is everybody's got a skill set uh everybody's good at something and so and this is the advice i give my children so if you'd seen me at napier university the only reason i got a doctorate was because the all the professors that were there when i was there were now clearly dead because i was the worst student on the planet <laughs> um, but uh math the only a i ever got in math was absent because i didn't show up for the exam because uh, I knew I was going to fail anyway. Uh, science, total disaster area. Biology, cut a frog in two? No, I'd pass out. I'm all wet. Um, I love the arts. I love the histories. I love, And guess what? I was really good at them. Mm. So, so it's amazing because you just like, this sounds really basic and patronizing. If you do what you love, you will be really good at it. Yeah. So I, I would just encourage people to do what they love. And particularly the young people. Because here's the thing. Uh, same conversation with my son last week. No mortgage, no kids, no risk. Do what you want. Enjoy yeah. it. Enjoy it. I think people are critical of millennials. They say they're lazy. No, they're not. They're French. And I say that with, with all the love in the world because the French figured it out many years ago. And the old bastards like me are jealous because we worked our balls off for years. And this generation cares more about their life than work. Yeah. Well, then they're lucky, aren't they? Because they figured it out earlier. They're not lazy. I would argue they're sensible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Right. And final question. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to actually be able to give an answer to this because I'm sure there's. Wait, red I'll give tape the answer, the then you ask the question. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> uh, Connor asks, "Have you been part of any cool Disney projects that never actually came to fruition?" Oh in my the end? god! Yeah, God, the book of ideas we never did. <laughs> oh shit! I've got 15 volumes on it, mate. <laughs> but don't be afraid to fail. Um, and this doesn't come from me because I read it, but I, I just, I, I took it fail. F-A-I-L, first act in learning. Ah, very nice little nifty acronym. There you go. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know you, you need much. to get off. But Duncan, it has been an absolute honor no, to have you on the Thank show. I'm very glad that we got to kind of sit down face to face. And I hope the, the masterclass goes well tomorrow. Cool. Give my love to the diggers if you get back there. I've yeah. not been there in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. And where can people find out more about yourself and your consultancy practice? Oh, um, uh, DuncanWardle.com. Brilliant. And to wrap up, folks, please head over to the website, themitmpodcast.com, to find out more about the show. Hit up your favorite podcast platform, hit the subscribe button, and you'll be notified when a new episode goes up. And if you're enjoying the show, hit the stars, leave a review, share the show with your friends, do whatever it does to help grow the show. It does honestly help. Um, also, please get in touch. Like We had listener questions on this show, but we're always keen to hear from everyone. So get in touch through the website. Send me an email on methodandmadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me, whatever, you know, 
carrier pigeon, whatever it may be, but don't be shy, send us some questions. But that's it from us here, folks. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you found some method in the madness. <laughs>